How you doing? You okay? How's it going? How you feeling today? Welcome to South of Fine, a podcast from Right Track Medical Group dedicated to destigmatizing mental health in the South through genuine conversation about the challenges that we all face every day. For more information, please visit our website, righttrackmedical.com backslash South of Fine. While we hope you enjoy listening to our podcast, please remember that this is not a substitute for professional diagnosis or for the treatment of any mental health condition. Hey guys, welcome back to part two of our discussion about what it looks like to go to therapy. I am your host with a cold, not COVID, I have been tested and cleared, Reese Lau. The last episode was great, but we wanted to touch on a more niche area of seeking therapy. And I say niche because it's a kind of touchy subject. It's actually more of a gut-wrenching subject because it involves those that we love more than ourselves, our kids. It's hard for many of us to admit that our kids need help or even see that they need help. And when we do, at least around the South, we feel like taking them to therapy could brand them messed up or something like that, thus ruining their lives and not helping them or saving their lives. It's easier, I'm sure, when something traumatic happens and it's unavoidable, but I don't think that most of us question therapy at that point. Maybe the how-tos of what we discussed today can ease our concerns about this stuff and lead to a stronger, stronger likelihood of us seeking help for our kiddos. Shara Green, a therapist with Right Track Medical, is joining us from Oxford today. And Rachel Pritchett, a nurse practitioner with Right Track, is joining us from Hattiesburg. So we've got both ends of the state covered. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Hey, thank you for having us. Absolutely. It's awesome to have you. So let's jump right in, um, get to the point here. So I, you know, I kind of talked a little bit about the stigma that's associated with, especially with children. Um going to therapy and how hard it is for a lot of parents to even admit. So from you guys standpoint, do you see a stigma that with kids mental health care and is that stigma mostly with the parents or is some of it with the kids? Absolutely. I feel like it's very common for um, people to see that as a sign of weakness or poor parenting um, that they're having to seek that help. I think that the stigma is common for both the parents and the kids, but the effects of the stigma can be very different. In a world of social media that portrays perfect lives, perfect families, and perfect people, it can be difficult to accept that this is not a reality for most people or families. Kids also suffer from being embarrassed that they're um, that they see a therapist or take medications to improve their mental health, so it will affect them as well. Yeah, good. Sure. Anything on that? Yeah, you know, I totally agree. Just thinking from a community standpoint that everyone all together seems to have a misconception about what therapy is really about. And I agree that by the time that parents decide that therapy is necessary, there's so much shame, there's so much embarrassment that has been built up around that, that, you know, they're afraid. But it really boils down to the lack of education, the lack of knowledge of what therapy truly is. And if we could all really come together, I'm so glad that we're doing this today so that people can begin to gain knowledge about, you know, what therapy truly is so that there's not so much shame and embarrassment about seeking help. Yeah, that's great. And I, you know, every conversation we have, it comes back to educating 
people to help alleviate fear, you know, and that, it's, yes. that's such an important point um, in all aspects of life. What are some of the reasons that um, parents would send their kids to therapy? This is kind of a broad question, but Sherry, you want to start with that one? Yeah, sure. You know, I think parents send their children to therapy for several reasons. A very common one that we might see quite a bit is behavior issues at school where the child is having a really hard time, you know, functioning. Maybe they're very hyperactive. Maybe they're impulsive and academically they're not doing well. Um, As far as peer related, they're not doing well. They're not following the directions. Other reasons might be just, you know, simple things as, you know, we might think it's not very traumatic, but for children, it is a divorce, separation from parents, living, you know, getting used to going from one home to the next. Maybe someone passes away. So grief can often play a role. Bullying. We often see a lot of kids because of bullying. And then, of course, sexual abuse, physical abuse. So there are a lot of reasons why children do come to therapy. Definitely their life experiences, because life can be really hard. So are there some common signs for like bullying or um, some of those other things you mentioned that would a parent should be aware of at home? Yes. You know, I think about many of the kids that I've seen a lot of times, you know, their bellies will start to ache. They'll have stomach aches. They may have headaches, um, maybe also a little resistance when it comes time to go to school or even go to bed at nighttime. They start to become a little emotional, crying spells, and a little clingy to parents. So those are some very common signs that there's something going on. And parent, those are the things that parents need to, to look for and to somewhat be aware of. What about in a more, in a, in a stronger circumstance, like sex, sexual abuse? Uh, yes. When it comes down to trauma, children may act in bizarre ways. Sometimes parents have no idea what is going on. They may try to run away. Um, another very common sign of trauma is that the child may be cutting. It could be on their arm. It could be on their thighs. And it may not be with the intent to actually really harm themselves suicide. It may not be to that extent, but it could just be to the extent of punishing themselves, or maybe they're trying to release some stress. So cutting is a very big thing that some of the kids and teens might do. Um, Of course, bedwetting, that's a very common one, not wanting to go to sleep because they may be having nightmares about experiences of sexual abuse or physical abuse. So those are, you know, those are very common things when we, when we're looking at children and teenagers, when it comes to traumatic experiences. Yeah. Yeah. This is a tough subject. So I get a little bit, you know, as a layman in this, in this field, I, it gets me because I have four kids. And so it's, it's a very thoughtful mm-hmm. exercise for me to just, if I were to see things like that, I mean, that, that's kind of a devastating issue. and But I would want to be able to overcome that in order to seek help rather than stew in my own feelings. Rachel, just give us a, an overview of how children can benefit from therapy. So therapy can help children cope with things that they are unable to cope with on their own. Um, it improves their ability to communicate their feelings, develop healthy habits for good behavior, and it can improve their overall thinking. Oh, yeah, yeah. What do you mean their overall thinking? So does it help them? It helps them in school? It helps them uh, problem solve? Yeah. So with problem solving, um, 
kind of, so sometimes children can be very self-critical um, and have negative thinking patterns uh, where they look at things in a, in a negative aspect. Um, but it can kind of help them change that and develop um, more positive oriented thought process. Shara, are children more prone to be self-critical than adults? Mm, you know, I did I don't want to say they're more prone to it, but I will say that they're very sensitive and children are very observant. So comments that parents make, teachers make, they have a lot of pressure on them. They definitely take it in. And a lot of children do internalize that, which is really sad mm-hmm. because they may not know how to talk about it. And a lot of times therapy will help to normalize for them. You're not, I'm not just a bad kid or I'm not going crazy. So the psychoeducation that the therapist provides really helps the child to understand what they're going through, what they are experiencing, their symptoms. And then it does provide them with the tools that they need to maneuver through so that they're able to cope with the daily stressors. Mm, That's good. Um, This is a this is a very interesting question to me. So what's your advice for parents who are trying to explain to their kids what therapy is and why they're going? Yeah. So this is probably one of my favorite topics in therapy, (laughs) especially when we're starting out because so many people, adults included, do feel like I'm crazy because I now have to come to therapy. But really, I like to explain to each person, and it would be great if the parents will explain to the child that life is really a journey. We're all on this journey and we all have our backpacks on and there will be obstacles along the way. It could be a divorce. It could be a bad accident. It could be having a hard time in school. And we all have problems. And when we think of it from the perspective of us all having problems, no one is exempt from that. And therapy is just an extra way to determine how I will solve these problems. How will I get through it? The therapist just provides the education, extra support, some additional tools to go along with the coping skills that they may already have. So I like to look at it from that standpoint so that each person does not think of it as I'm crazy or I have big problems, because in reality, we all have problems. No one is exempt. 100%. Yep. So what advice do you guys have for parents who are uh, looking for a therapist for the children? After they get to that point, how do they decide where to go, who to use? What's the first step that they would take? So a lot of times they can start with their pediatrician, since that is going to be the child's primary care provider and who they're in contact with and who knows them uh, the most. Um, That would be the starting point um, because there may be some underlying medical concerns going on that that provider can rule out. And then he can make referrals to a source uh, that they can get therapy from. Uh, Another good place that you could uh, find some information would be a school counselor. They also have good referral sources. That's good. Moving forward to something that's I know a tiny bit about. Um, You guys may not know, but our audience knows. uh, I was in the entertainment industry industry for about for about fifteen twenty years, and Um, an extension of that was I taught acting to kids and I saw how the tools of play could enhance their lives. You'd have someone coming in that's shy and stooped over, but has these beautiful mind and a beautiful, unique abilities. And within, you know, a month they're 
they're more confident, they're resilient. Um, nothing in that I was doing. I just knew some acting tools that kind of helped them. So with play therapy, I want to know a little bit about more about that. Like what exactly is play therapy? Yeah. So with, with play therapy, it is a special type of therapy for children 12 and under. And it is really about entering into their world. When we think of the traditional talk therapy, adults process and work through their problems by talking. Children are not wired that way. So children 12 and under, research shows that their brain may not have the maturity level to process and to really verbalize what is going on with them or even their experiences. So that's why it's very common that you can ask a child, you know, how are you feeling? Um, Why did you do that? What has happened? And a lot of times you'll hear the classic, I don't know. I don't know. And then teachers and parents, people will get really aggravated. But the truth is the child may really not know. And if they do know, they may not know how to form the words to really express it the way that they need to. So play therapy is getting on their level. They go into a room, use creative activities, toys, arts and craft to express what they're going through. They act it out. And that is actually how they process it. Children process through play. So, for example, a child that may have an upcoming dentist appointment, maybe they're feeling a little anxious about it, but they have not said anything. When they come into the play therapy room, they may actually go straight to the set that revolves around, you know, their dental visit and they may want to act it out. And that's exactly what we allow them to do. We do not provide any type of guidance during child centered play therapy. We just allow them to come in be themselves. We set boundaries when it's necessary, but they're allowed to work through their issues through their own world, their own way of communicating, which is play. Wow. That's cool. That's, that's different than what I was talking about, (laughs) but, (laughs) but you know, and that's what, that's why I'm here. And that's why I love that I'm hosting this is because I like to dispel some of the ignorance that's out there, which is mostly mine. Well, Reese, if if you don't mind me saying this, I do agree with what you were saying as far as them coming in. They're shy, but it's something about play and creativity that allows them to be their true selves. And after a while, they they come out of their shell. Mm. So I agree with that 100%. I definitely think that's a part of the process Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. And I, I think, too, that it it also goes to what Rachel said earlier about it affecting their their minds. It, they do better in school and they're able to articulate better. And they look at thought as more of a detailed mm-hmm. um, position rather than this vague. We're, we lose that as adults. And we lose the ability to play. Right. You know? Maybe we should <laughs> know a bit better. Okay. So what, what, um, what do therapy sessions look like for kids? Uh, how do they, do they differ from adult sessions? Yeah, I I definitely think so. For children, you want to engage them in some creative activities, even if it's not play therapy. Not every child may, you know, play therapy may not be right for them. So providing some creative activities where they're going to do some scrapbooking, they're going to do some type of cutting out and, you know, pasting. Um, Maybe they're going to do a sensory bottle using mineral oil oil and, you know, glitter. So you want to provide them with some type of activity that is creative so they're able to retain Mm. it. We know that children learn when they're having fun talking, they're not having fun. So if they come back to the session the following week or a couple of weeks later and you say, hey, you know, what did we what did we talk about? What did we learn last session? If you talked, 
I can guarantee you they are not going to remember because you're just another teacher. You're just a parent. You're a lecturer. But if you provide that activity, they're able to retain the information a lot easier. Hmm. Um, Rachel, what what would you say is a, a parent's role uh, with their child's therapist? I would say their role is, you know, to make sure that um, they're communicating effectively with that therapist because the adult is going to be the one that actually understands what's going on at home. Uh, Sherry, you've worked with parents, right? I have. Is there a difference between the ones that work well with you uh, and the ones that work bad with you? And what would that be? Yes, there is a major difference. It is awesome when you have a parent that is active during the child's treatment, and it can be a very poor experience for the child when you have a parent that is not active. Um, it may look something like, you know, the child is has an assignment to complete, and the parent that doesn't care They don't care if the child completes the assignment or not. They really don't care, you know, if the child is really getting better. It's almost like they're coming and they're dumping them off. They want them to be fixed, but they want it to occur right now. They don't want to to wait and actually put in any of the work, the consistency. Whereas the person, the parent that is supportive, they are along for the ride and they're ready to put the work in. They're ready to make changes themselves. And they're and they're more open. To, yes. Yes. Hmm. They're open to the Good. suggestions, the treatment plan. They want to make sure they're following through with everything. They provide updates. Yeah. yeah. And th- and that's related to what I talked about in the beginning is that as parents, we don't want to see that our kids are having a problem, um, because there are there are babies, you know, and and we don't want them to hurt, and we don't want to admit it a lot of times, and um. You know, just swallowing that pride and being open to the reality of what you see before you is is super important. And I guess that extends throughout the entire term of therapy with uh, the therapist. Rachel, as far as like medication is concerned with children, do, do we do much of that? Absolutely. We use all kinds of medications for children um, to help them with any kind of depression that they may be experiencing or anxiety or ADHD symptoms. Um, Some children experience nightmares and night terrors. We also use medications to treat those. Uh, Some children may have mood instability and uh, deal with a lot of rage and anger. So there are a lot of medications that we can use to help children feel better and be able to control, you know, their behaviors if they're having any, any acting out behaviors. Um, I I would say yes, absolutely. Shira, um, based upon that, I know that everything's different. It's a case by case scenario, but at what point would you recommend that to a, to a parent during the process? Yeah. So sometimes, sometimes the child will come in, the parent will come in and it will be very evident that the medication is necessary, especially if the child is not functioning well at school, if they're not sleeping, if they're so depressed, they're barely getting out of bed. They're not engaging in any of the activities that we know that they enjoy suicidal thoughts, of course, Anytime, you know, self-harm or 
their ability to function and get through daily living is affected. That's when we definitely want to look at the medication evaluation. Great. Um, so this is a question that is just important for all aspects of therapy. Why is following through with your treatment plan essential for kids who are in need of mental health care? I would say following through with the treatment plan um, is essential because it's going to improve the outcome. It improves the responsibility and the accountability as well. When kids are put into therapy, they they want to get better. Um, and if they're not getting better because the, the treatment plan wasn't followed or it was started and stopped uh, without progressing through it, then they tend to feel more hopelessness about the process. You know, I don't want to go back there because it didn't work mm. when it wasn't necessarily, it didn't work. It could just be that they didn't follow through with the entire process and complete the homework and do what was required to, to get better. Mm. Good. So is there an age that's too young for therapy? And I guess that would really depend um, play therapy, you can start seeing children anywhere from two years, two years old and up two years to 12. I've never worked with anyone the age of two. I have the age of three and it did seem to work really well. So I do, I have heard of my professors working with babies or I hmm. consider them to be babies, toddlers, 18 months old, and it was beneficial for them. Great. Yeah, I mean, across the board, it just as we yes. attempt to normalize <laughs> therapy, especially in the South, yeah. we just we all I see more far more benefits than I do negative. There's very little negative to all of this. And I just want to thank you guys so much for all of your work. I thank y'all for taking some time. Um, this is important what we're discussing here, and you guys are awesome. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So. If you guys have questions about mental health and that you'd like one of our providers to answer in a future episode, please email southoffine at righttrackmedical.com. And if you'd like more information about Right Track Medical Group or the South of Fine podcast, please visit righttrackmedical.com. I'm Reese. I look forward to continuing this conversation with you guys in upcoming episodes of South of Fine. Shara and Rachel. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I will definitely not forget this. <laughs> if you have questions about mental health and the COVID-19 pandemic that you'd like our providers to answer in a future episode, please email southoffine at righttrackmedical.com. And if you'd like more information about Right Track Medical Group or the South of Fine podcast, please visit righttrackmedical.com. Thanks to our production team, Kelly Huntsberger, Caitlin Clegg, Carol Ann Hughes, Alica Batista, and Reese Lau. Special thanks to Squadcast for providing superior remote interview services.